Hey there, welcome to The Tent. I'm your host, Scott Thelman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. Uh, I want to set up a blackwater aquarium. Those are really impactful words to me, and they're getting more and more common all the time. I hear them quite a bit. Okay, I know I sound a little bit ridiculous, but I think the concept of blackwater aquariums is becoming, well, I guess you'd say trendy. And I guess it's cool. I mean, it is. But it's like we tended to focus on the superficial aspects of it. You know, the cool looks. Awesome, but it's only really part of the story. Also, again, it's like likely the most superficial part. <laughs> it's okay to like the look, but I'm afraid that in the insta-trend sort of thing, a lot of people are taken in by the color of the water, the aesthetics, and the perceptions that simply adding botanicals to the aquarium gives you soft, acidic, black water condition. And of course, we know there's more to it than that. Obviously, I'm giving myself a bit of a pass here by referring you to the body of work that we've developed over the years here. I mean, in one summary podcast or blog post, I can't give you the definitive guide to Blackwater Botanical Style Aquariums. So yeah, now we've talked quite a bit about the processes involved in setting up this type of aquarium from scratch, as well as the mindset, the research, the concepts, and the execution involved. More than could possibly be summarized by one concise blog post, podcast, or article. It's literally taken about four years just to sort of get the basics about what we feel is a good approach to the Blackwater Botanical Style Aquarium game out there. Yet we regularly hear from a large number of interested hobbyists, customers, and community members who have an interesting uh, take on this. They have an existing aquarium and want to switch it over to a Blackwater Aquarium. We receive a fair number of questions about the process, so I figure that now's as good a time as any to sort of touch on it, or at least some of the, the nuances involved. Now, I've always had this thing about most aquarium-related how-to type of articles because I think they tend to offer up information as if it's, you know, everything was simply a recipe and that you do this or add a bit of that and you're certain to achieve such and such a result. I always feel that this is a bit of a broad stroke, one that sometimes glosses over the more nuanced aspects of the topic. And you know as well as I do that, with hundreds of possible variables in the equation, an aquarium is no picnic. <laughs> Nothing is a given, even when you're considering, uh, you know, trying to hit a narrow range of conditions with seemingly the right combination of actions. And our idea of just throwing in leaves, twigs, botanical materials, and soils into a tank and seeing what happens is about as variable-inducing as it gets. So with that disclaimer in mind, haha, <laughs> we're going to at least look at the overall how-to and and... Uh, we can all fill in the blank spaces in our specific situations with more customized approaches as needed. The purpose of this piece is not to give you the definitive answer of how to create a blackwater aquarium or whatever. There's so much more than a superficial piece like this could ever hope to offer. We're just giving you some highlights here and hoping that you'll take advantage of what's available. You'll have to do the additional homework with the resources available here in previous blogs and in articles and blogs throughout the internet and elsewhere. There's no real shortcuts here. Oh my God, Feldman, just get to it already. Okay, I will. <laughs> it starts with some basic questions. First off, the obvious question we need to ask ourselves when committing uh, to such a change are, do the fishes which I keep come from this type of environment in nature? And am I willing to take the time to do it slowly? The answer to the first question is pretty obvious and almost sort of insulting, I know, now that I mention it, but, you know, some due diligence sort of thing has to come into play here. Okay, you got that one. The second question is, to me, more interesting. In fact, it's as we say here in America, the whole ball game. Uh, they probably said that in every country too, but you know, something I grew up saying. So patience, observation, and time. These are the essential ingredients in the botanical style Blackwater Aquarium game. One fact, 
It goes without saying that if you've been keeping your fishes, even ones which come from blackwater conditions in nature, in harder, more alkaline water for some time, there will need to be a gradual transition to this type of environment. It goes without saying that rapid environmental changes are potentially harmful to many fishes. Now, in the bigger picture, I'm of the opinion that even, for example, tetras or other fishes which may have been bred commercially in tap water conditions, not necessarily soft and acidic, but, you know, harder and alkaline, uh, for the past few decades could still benefit from being sort of repatriated to more natural conditions. However, you're still putting them through an environmental change, and this requires time. Where do you begin? Well, you start by seeing where you are, getting your bearings, so to speak. I'd love to start by doing a sort of baseline assessment of the pH and alkalinity of my water. Uh, Digital uh, pH meters are a great investment that will make accurate monitoring of your water much more economical and easy. You should also give some thought about what your target pH and alkalinity are. If you're using tap water with a pH of, you know, 8.2 or whatever and a lot of carbonate hardness, for example, you need to consider how you might bring these measurements down to your target area. And you should, in my opinion, be willing to make the infrastructure investment, pricey though it may be, in a reverse osmosis deionization unit or at least finding a good consistent source of reverse osmosis deionized water. And many... Uh, local fish stores will sell you RODI by the gallon or liter, and that's a good starting point. The rationale here is that it's far, far easier to reduce the pH in water that has little or no carbonate hardness. It's more malleable or a, a better canvas upon which to work. If you aren't using RODI water in your current setup, you can even start gradually mixing in some without adjusting it or adding anything with your regular water exchanges. Arguably, this may help it to gradually lower the carbonate hardness and pH, yet it's going to take a long time. Ultimately, the idea is to replace all the water in the tank with RODI. Patience is essential. Slow steps. If you can get your water to around neutral, that's a great stepping off point for many modifications to lower pH levels. Oh, and there's other considerations, like substrate. If you're using a substrate which has considerable buffering capacity then it's likely that you'll either need to replace it or accept the fact that you'll likely not achieve soft acidic conditions despite adding uh, reverse osmosis deionized water. You might achieve softer water, but you're not going to get that that incredibly malleable water that we want. Now, speaking of pH, I wouldn't shoot for the stars and try to, you know, get to a target of like 5.5 or something really low right out of the blocks. For that matter, I wouldn't obsess over any specific target number, really. Rather, I try to find a tight range that you could easily maintain. With the understanding that you need to do this over a period of weeks or even months, I'd shoot for a modest pH level, like 6.7 to 6.5 is your target range. Get a feel for operating a tank under these conditions and maintaining them consistently. Once you've got a sort of handle in the pH and alkalinity and gotten them in the range, you can begin the slow process of fine-tuning your habitat. Now, you might be, as I often am, surprised to find that botanicals and leaves while impactful somewhat on pH, will drop levels much more slowly, and to a lesser extent than you might think. And if you have harder alkaline water, the impact will be even more minimal or even undetectable. As we've mentioned many times, the impact on carbonate hardness from botanicals and leaves is essentially nothing. They won't accomplish softening of the water. This is like a myth that's been erroneously ascribed to them for decades. A study of basic water chemistry principles, or aquarium water chemistry principles, will just help you bury this myth once and for all. You simply need to utilize other methods to reduce carbonate hardness, like the aforementioned use of RODI water, 
before even starting to add the botanicals and leaves if your goal is to reduce the pH of your system with them. The other probably insultingly obvious thing to be aware of is that even if the water looks dark brown, it's not necessarily, you know, 6.3 and 0 kH. I mean, tannins will stain the water in absence of chemical filtration media to remove them. They may not significantly impact the pH, but you'll get that visual tint. And I know many hobbyists are perfectly happy with that, and that's okay. And let's talk about the idea of tannins and humic substances for just a second. We've talked about this a lot before, but we know that they're released into the water as a result of steeping botanical materials. And there are commercial test kits to measure tannin levels, usually used in like winemaking and such. They'll give milligram per liter readings, which are unfortunately of no real value to us as hobbyists at the present time. Why is this? Well, because we simply don't have baseline information which hobbyists can interpret about tannin levels and or humic substances in natural habitats, nor any kind of analysis of which of the hundreds and hundreds of tannins and humic substances are typically found in most blackwater habitats. At this time, we simply have to go with the understanding that these compounds are found in such natural blackwater habitats at varying concentrations and combinations. Until further research is completed, interpreted, and analyzed, we unfortunately simply have to trust this stuff. Yet another reason to study the wild aquatic habitats of the world even more closely. I'm also not aware of any studies done on the health impact to tropical fishes of tannins and humic substances in harder alkaline environments versus, say, soft acidic ones. So that's even another open topic, really. Not exactly 100% definitive, completely confidence-building stuff, right? I mean, we know that these things are there. We know that they're important. But we don't know a whole lot more at this point, at least not hobby-wise. We're still in the phase where what we do, or much of what we do, is uh, as more of an art than it really is a science. Now, that's not a bad thing, mind you. It's just something we need to take into account as we pursue our work. Now, speaking of the art part, let's just touch on the practical applications of botanicals once again. My personal tendency is to start with relatively small quantities of materials, usually leaves, and then work in the more durable botanicals like seed pods and such. I guess my thought process is that uh, the materials like leaves tend to break down more quickly, imparting their humic acids and tannins into the water at a corresponding pace. It's a logical assumption, I think. And of course, after your initial additions, you should measure pH again to see if there has been any impact. A lot of hobbyists are into checking TDS as well, and we've beaten the crap out of that subject quite a bit in past blogs here, and, and it's discussed a lot by hobbyists, so it's something you might want to research. Obviously, the question here is, how much do I start with? And of course, my answer is, I have no idea. Yes, what a shocker, right? I realize that's the least satisfying, probably least helpful answer I can give you at this, to this question at this point. Or is it? I mean, taking into account all the possible variables ranging from the type of water you start with to what kind of substrate material you're using, it, wouldn't, it would be just a shot at the dark, in the dark at the best. My advice is to start with conservatively small quantities of stuff, like, I don't know, maybe a half a dozen leaves for every 15 U.S. gallons of water. You might not even notice any difference, or you might see a 0.2 reduction in pH. You have to test. I recommend a digital pH meter for the best accuracy. Again, there's no set recipe. Every tank is custom. We've talked about this a million times here, and I'll keep reiterating that. I would make it a habit, however, to add the same amount of materials, leaves initially in pause if you want to mix them in on subsequent additions, at a regular interval, say every four or five days. Test again. See where you're at. I would tend to shoot for not reducing your pH by more than, say, 0.5 per week. That's a really conservative approach, and that's me, of course. Your fish's tolerance and, you know, your personal comfort level with doing so is your call. 
And it's a really, uh, it's just a matter of repeating this process until you hit your desired range. Notice I said range and not target pH or something like that. We receive a lot of questions about using chemical filtration media when using botanicals. And again, there's no right or wrong here. I'll tell you from my personal experience that I like to use filtration materials like Seachem Renew or small amounts of activated carbon. You're like, what? Seriously, Felman? Carbon? Yes, really. And polyfilter on a full-time basis in my system. The reality is that organic scavenger resins, carbons, and materials like Renew might be indiscriminate in the removal of stuff like human subs humic substances, tannins, and other organic compounds released by the botanicals. But they also tend to moderate things you don't want like ammonia and miscellaneous organics. How's that for a cop-out on my part, right? Generics. But we toss a lot of botanical materials, i.e. bioload, into our aquariums, all of which break down and require a bacterial population in place to process it. So why not have some chemical filtration as sort of an insurance policy to remove some potential excess organics and such, which will place a substantial burden on that bacterial population? Yeah, they might remove some of the visual tint, and I hear that's the argument I hear against these things, but they will remove a lot less of it if you don't use the whole full-on recommended dose per gallon that the manufacturer puts out there. And frankly, I've never done a serious test to see exactly how much of what various chemical filtration uh, media actually remove from the water. I'm just being honest here, and I'll bet not too many of you have either, really. We rely on the manufacturers for that, and that's fine. Don't worry about the tint that these materials are going to remove, when, even when you use them in moderation. Trust me, the water in most of my tanks is pretty damn dark, despite full-time utilization of these media. If you're getting the sort of feeling that this is a hardly scientific, highly choreographed, you know, one-size-fits-all process, you're totally right. It's really a matter of, as the great hobbyist and author John Tullock once uh, wrote, test and tweak. In other words, see what the hell is going on before making adjustments. Logical and time-testing aquarium procedure for any type of tank. Now, the interesting thing that I've always found with my botanical-style blackwater aquariums is that they tend to find their own equilibrium of sorts, a stable operating range that once you find yourself doing the same procedures, i.e. regular water changes, botanicals, media replacements, etc., etc., uh, at regular intervals, this, this stuff tends to remain highly consistent as long as you keep them up. I've talked repeatedly about the, in my humble opinion, most unwarranted uh, fears people have about precipitous pH drops and crashes and such. And I believe that, and this is another controversy, I suppose, most or all of these things are mitigated by the consistency, the patience that you apply, taking small steps, testing regularly, documenting your results, and repeating them. I've said it before, and I will repeat it again, and this pisses a lot of people off, but I believe that pretty much every one of the anomalous pH crashes and disasters that I've heard of in regards to botanical-style tanks has been directly attributable to operator error, i.e. failing to be consistent, diligent, and conservative. Tanks simply do not crash by themselves in my experience. If they do, it's a very slow process, which consistent testing would have revealed a trend that you could follow. They fall as, and fail as a result of something we did or did not do. Failure to slow down, failure to measure, failure to observe or continue to follow procedures that have been giving us consistently good results. In my experience, tanks will show signs, develop trends, and demonstrate the manifestations of these issues gradually if you're attuned to them. Botanical-style blackwater aquariums, I've said this a million times, are not set-and-forget systems, exactly like reef aquariums, planted high-tech tanks, and Buna systems, discus tanks, etc. You need to observe and you need to pivot as situations dictate. A sort of yin and yang, if you will. 
pushing the limits and playing it safe, kind of in balance. And you have to ask yourself if this type of active tank management lifestyle is for you. It's not for everybody. Failure to move thoughtfully, slowly, and deliberately, testing and tweaking along the way, along with time-tested, common-sense application of aquarium management technique, can result in you killing every single fish in your aquarium. That's reality. That's the truth. It's not that Tannen sold me junk or Joe Blow on eBay sold me junk or whatever. It's you didn't apply common sense. This stuff can work, but you need to understand what you're doing. So just don't be stupid. Don't be lazy. Take the time to do the research, ask questions, dig in, roll up your sleeves. Don't just look for the quick Instagram or, or, or Facebook answer. Read an article that may be boring and, and, and a little bit hard to get your head around, but will make a difference. Just, again, do that. Now, within that, oh, things are awesome range and the oh shit range, as I call it, there's a ton of room for experimentation and research. Best practices in terms of how much stuff to add, when to add it, when or if to remove it, etc., are still the subject of a ton of conversation among members of our community, and they're evolving daily. There are, as we mentioned before, no specific recipes to follow, only those emerging best practices developed by those of us who have ventured along this path. We can tell you about the benefits, show you how to prepare botanicals, advise you about husbandry, and warn you of the things that can go wrong. The rest is simply up to us as individual hobbyists to interpret and utilize. And that's not the only challenge, but in my opinion, the appeal of this aquarium specialty. We all have an opportunity to contribute to the state of the art, to increase our body of knowledge about how these systems operate, to unlock the manifold benefits and potential pitfalls of botanical style aquarium practice. Again, it's not for everyone. Not everyone likes the look. Not everyone likes the work and the effort and the research required and the lack of a recipe or complete certainty. There are still many unknowns, no single way to achieve success. You can't just throw in black water tonic or whatever the commercial product off the shelf is and expect to have this perfectly functioning black water habitat. It just doesn't work that way. And if I don't, I don't want to point fingers at manufacturers because I think they're trying to put out good products, but I think we have to realize that it's more than just a add a little of this, add a little of that, and you get what you want. It's a technique. You can't just add an additive and have an instant perfect reef system. That was a big thing during the 80s and 90s. Oh, this additive will take care of all your needs. It doesn't. These are actively managed systems. There's a lot involved in it. And for those who choose to walk on this very interesting path, the potential rewards for us, and most important for our fishes, are huge. I think that's really exciting. I guess this article may not have answered all of your questions. This little podcast is just a, you know, a, a, a addendum to what we already know. In fact, it probably opened up quite a few more questions, spurring you hopefully to do more research between before you start a blackwater botanical style aquarium. And that's never a bad thing. So common sense, moving slowly, doing some research, talking to people, and practicing carefully. And practicing some of those common, you know, aquarium practices that we've been doing for decades, just with a little different approach. Those are all good things. So don't be afraid. Proceed slowly. Think what you're doing and enjoy. Stay excited. Stay conservative. Stay experimental. Stay diligent. Stay skeptical. Stay hopeful. Stay creative. Stay curious. And always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Feldman from Tannin Aquatics. Thanks so much for being part of... Uh, Part of, letting me be part of your day, letting me stumble over my words because you know I do that all the time because I get so excited about this stuff. But really, 
thanks for being engaged in our community. I'm really excited to uh, have so many people interested in, and, um, you know, fascinated by what we're doing and, and, and taking part in all this. It's really because of you that I stay inspired every day. So thank you. And I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tint.